Hello everyone, welcome to I'm Glad You Asked. Today's topic is the future of rhetoric. As some of you may know, and others wish they could forget, I'm a high school English teacher, what we also call in the biz a babe magnet. And I'd remind you that magnets repel as well as they attract. Anyway, I specialize in rhetoric. If there's anything sexier than a high school English teacher, surely it's a high school rhetoric specialist. You have no idea how much it turns on my wife when I utilize Zugma properly. Turns her and the lights right on. So, rhetoric. I teach rhetoric. There's a lot to teach, naturally. One of the things we teach is called a warrant in an argument. Basically, a warrant is an assumption, some underlying truth that we all accept as true so we can debate or argue a position. To use a quick example, if I said, Jeremy plays football, which is why he needs to unzip his fly to count to 21. The warrant of that statement, the assumption we're operating under, is that football players are stupid and need to count on their fingers and toes. Usually, warrants are somewhat more sophisticated and significantly less phallic, but that was the example I'm going with, and I stand by it. The example, not the penis. I try not to stand by penises when I can help it. Though the 85-year-old Japanese man in the gym who decided I needed a close-up of his naked Emperor Tojo was a rare exception. I've been teaching rhetoric under several warrants for years now, and with things as they are in the world and our society, I've come to wonder if they are, well, warranted. One such warrant, or belief, is that facts matter. That when one wishes to base an argument on logic and reasoning, one must use accurate facts. I have taught, continue to teach, and will teach tomorrow that the use of inaccurate data is damaging to a logical argument. Is it, though? George Orwell gave us, in his novel 1984, many people thought he was predicting the future, but in fact all he did was reverse the last two digits of the year in which he wrote the manuscript. It was published in 1949, but written in 1948. Previous titles include The Last Man in Europe and Rats Ahoy. But anyway, Orwell gave us the concept of doublethink and newspeak. Doublethink was the ability to hold two contradictory thoughts towards the same thing. Like ambivalence, but for logic. For instance, if the government needs you to think that using a private email server is a crime punishable by torture, say, compulsory mumble rap listening, and then also needs you to think using an unsecured iPhone to communicate with foreign powers is not inappropriate at all, that's doublethink. Newspeak is a related idea wherein the very language we speak shapes the way we think. And in Orwell's world, that shape is whatever Big Brother says it is. Big Brother is a fictional avatar of the government described as ruggedly powerful and handsome and having a thick mustache. Think Tom Selleck crossed with Stephen Miller and you've got it. Anyway, Newspeak introduces us to all sorts of words and phrases, many of which are either euphemisms or outright contradictions. The Ministry of Truth, for example, is in charge of internal propaganda. A memory hole is a chute into which inconvenient records are placed to be incinerated. And live-action Aladdin has come to mean a fantastic idea. So, opposites. What does this all have to do with rhetoric in today's world? We'll take, for example, the strange case of the crowd size at Donald Trump's inauguration. Trump's is significantly smaller than President Obama's. And that phrase is useful in so very many ways, but moving on. This was not a big deal. No one really cared that much about it, except President Trump. 
He must have directed his press secretary at the time, Sean Squealer Spicer, to fight back against this. Spicer said, and I quote, This was the largest audience ever to witness an inauguration, period, both in person and around the globe. Let's leave aside for the second he put period in the middle of his sentence and just go on with the fact that we know this was false. Photographs prove it. Ridership numbers for the local public transit prove it. Videos taken at the time of the inauguration prove it. But what matters here is how stridently the Trump administration pushed this lie. No one in the media really cared that much until Trump made it a big deal. This culminated in Trump sending out Kellyanne Conway, whose title at the time was counselor to the president, to continue to defend the lie. She said, and again I quote, that Spicer was giving out alternative facts. It's worth noting that sales of Orwell's 1984 jumped slightly in the four days following that statement. And by slightly, I mean they jumped by 9,500%. Only two days later... Conway was referring to the Bowling Green Massacre, a terrible moment in U.S. history that involved Iraqi terrorists. You may not have heard of it because it was completely made up. There was no Bowling Green Massacre. Nothing. Nada. Zip. Bupkis.com. She created a massacre out of thin air. So let's get back to our warrant that facts matter in a debate. Do they, though? Because while media folks brayed and spluttered at the obvious lies being spouted almost literally from day one of Trump's administration, here we are. Trump is still in office, lying an estimated 7,645 times in office, tallying up only to January of 2019. Pretty soon, he'll be a song from Rent. So many lies, so many, many lies. And his surrogates and supporters don't care. In fact, they eat it up. Anything to own the libs. Far from punishing Trump for lying about almost everything, he's being rewarded. Do facts matter? Am I teaching rhetoric wrong? If I want to teach the kids how to argue effectively, why am I bothering with such things like truth and accuracy and teaching them to avoid ad hominem attacks and outright lies? This is all Trump does, and he's the president of the United States. I can imagine my next year's curriculum. Kids, argument isn't a logical process by which you prevent facts in a, present facts in an orderly, powerful manner so as to lay out your proposal in a, as objective a fashion as possible. Argument is the art of saying your opponent has misshapen genitals. Honestly, why should a student listen to me when I tell them about metonymy and how carefully const a carefully constructed metaphor can make your rhetoric soar and inspire the listener when they're presented with multiple examples a day as to how the leader of the free world can speak about Frederick Douglass as if he were still alive? Trump said, and I quote, I'm very proud now that we have a museum on the National Mall where people can learn about Reverend King so many other things. Frederick Douglass is an example of somebody who's done an amazing job and is getting recognized more and more, I notice. So, what's the future of rhetoric? Allow me to finally, after much circumlocution, look it up, it's a great word, answer that. Facts do matter. Rhetoric can indeed inspire us. Words all by themselves can do that. My students have heard me say that one of the most powerful sentences they will ever utter is just two words long and three letters long. I 
do. Stronger even than I love you or you're going to be a daddy or even for the last time stop deleting my recordings of The Bachelor to clear space for your stupid I Claudius marathon. Well, maybe that last one's just in my household, but rhetoric can lift us all up, provide clarity to moments in our lives that so desperately need it. In the King James Bible, John 8, 7, Jesus said, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. Lincoln's, the mystic chords of memory will swell when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature. Or Ronald Reagan, quoting John Gillespie McGee's High Flight. The crew of the space shuttle Challenger honored us by the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. Rhetoric, language, can touch us in ways nothing else can or it can debase us. Language power is also a weapon, not just words used to cut and hurt like racial slurs or insults, but lies spoken earnestly and with passion lower us all. Language used to appeal to our baser selves, to activate the lizard brain part of us, to find that dark core and bring it out only to use it to promote some sinister, awful agenda is ignoble. Language used to hide the truth, to create an impenetrable shield of incomprehensibility, to bewilder the less able and conceal the truth is a debasement of what language can and should be. The truth matters. Language is important. Rhetoric lives.